All right. So today we have a first on the podcast. Today we have Ben Shirley. Uh, he lives in Cumbria, England, and he is a uh, youth soccer coach over there. And we have a, a wonderful conversation, uh, really enlightening for me. And I know y'all will love listening to this podcast. All right. So today on the Mind of a Football podcast we have a first we have an international guest we have ben shirley on the podcast welcome to the podcast ben thank you thank you for having me it's great to be man, here I, it's, yeah man it i think i've connected with all my twitter uh podcasts on twitter and uh, you're very active on there and i i like to ask people like what's your thoughts about twitter and social media before we uh we get rolling um it has its place and i, w- I do wonder where we would be without it uh, as a coach, I love it because um, I think, you know, amateurs borrow and professionals steal. And um, when you look at, at Twitter in particular, it's great to connect with other coaches from many other sports. Um, I think it's a great platform for ordinary people like us to connect with uh, professional sports people or whatever the, the, the field is that you're interested in. Um, and used in the right way, it's a fantastic tool and a great medium. Absolutely. Uh, ben, if you don't mind, please give the listeners a little background about yourself, and then we'll we'll rock and roll from there. Yeah, I'd be really happy to. So um, I'm based in the northwest of England in a county called Cumbria. We live in a small rural village. Um, I coach uh, amateur football or, or soccer, as uh, many of your listeners will, will know it as. Um, I've coached since I was 16. I'm 34 now. So all of my adult life, I've been coaching, and all that time, bar a short break of about 18 months I've been with the same club and I've coached every team at the club from under sevens through to the first team um, and, and had various different levels of, of success on the field. Um, I'm also a chairman of our local youth football league as well, uh, having been the secretary. Um, we're a football house, so my wife is a fixtures secretary and she's our football club secretary. Okay. And our eldest boy um, plays as well. So we love it. That's awesome. And you said you work for like a member of parliament as your job. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So outside of work, uh, outside of um, sports, should I say, Zach, I, I do. I, I work for our local member of parliament. Yeah. That is so wild, man. That is, that's like a small, that's like a, a cool thing. So t- talk a little about that as well. I'm, I'm so interested in that. Yeah, it's really cool. So um, I'm very fortunate that I have a, a a pass for the House of Commons. Uh, it's very Hogwarts. If you've seen Harry Potter and you, you think Hogwarts, <laughs> that's what the House of Commons is like. Um, and it's so antiquated in many ways and steeped in history. It's just an amazing place. And to think the uh, people like Sir Winston Churchill and many other people have walked them corridors. Um, imagine if those those walls could talk, man, you know, it'd be really cool. But yeah, I love it. Um, and the serious part of the job is that you can make a real difference to people's lives locally. Um, and uh, it's like nothing I've ever done before. That's so cool. Um, so I guess the obvious question the listener will want is to know, like, how did you find the Mind of a Football Coach podcast? And we'll circle back like to your coaching philosophy. I, that's probably the, the question people are like, I'm just a guy yeah. from West Virginia. How, how in the world yeah. did that happen? I know it was surreal, really. So I'm somewhat ashamed to say that I've never actually listened to podcasts until November last year. And it was yours that I found. And 
in the UK, we uh, had a tiered system and our area and went mm. into tier three, which was uh, almost total lockdown. Um, and I was like most people just trying to keep myself sane and keep myself busy and, and productive. So I was planning some sessions, planning a season plan for whenever we're allowed to play again. And I thought, well, it was my boss, actually, the MP, who he listens to a lot of podcasts. I thought, I'm going to mm. search out some podcasts. So I just typed in the word football and yours came up towards the top of the list uh, amongst others. So I was flicking through mm -hmm. and I had a look at your episodes. I thought, perfect. So what I do every morning at about 7 a.m. is I go out with my dog and I listen to your podcast. Um, and sometimes I, I listen to two, depending on how, how long the podcast is. And I just fell in love with it straight away. I love how conversational it is. Um, I love listening to you and, and your guests, the, the other coaches. Um, I like the fact you've had a basketball coach on recently, so that makes me feel better not being a, yeah, a, a, an American football coach. Um, and not, it just goes to prove that no matter which sport you favour or operate within, we're, we're all, we all face the same challenges. Uh, we're all looking to, to steal and learn off one another. Um, it, it's just extraordinary. And... It, it makes me smile and I've taken so many things like I remember one of your your guests and forgive me I forgot to note their name down but he spoke about always operating like champions um, mm. no matter what and I think that's a great um, basis to go from no matter what they do they operate like champions and I've, I've nicked that um, mm. and listening to Brian Faber the basketball coach um, mm. earlier last earlier on this week um, mm. I was really interested in his the way he was talking about uh, his pressing tactics um, because mm. pressing is very fashionable in, in, in British football. Huh. Um, so it was extraordinary. Yeah, I love it. That is so cool. I mean, I've started doing these so I could remember what people tell me that are much smarter than me. You know, like you have those conversations with people like, you know, over the phone or in face and you forget like, Oh, what did they say? And now it's like, I can just go back and play like, Oh man, they're a lot smarter than me. I just want to listen. To this. That's exactly it. And that's exactly what I do. So I'll listen to them and I think oh, really good. So I'll get my iPhone out, stick it in my notes uh, and then revisit it. And we'll listen to it. Uh, I say we, but the dog doesn't listen to it. I do um, the next morning on the next walk uh, and some of the little nuggets, you know, I'll type them in my notes and think that's, I'm going to steal that. That's really good. Heck yeah. Now I'm going to preface this. I know very little about, you know, European football or soccer. So I'm ready to be educated here. Um, I have to say I'm a huge fan. Uh, we don't have a TV right now uh, for a number of reasons. Like it, my daughter doesn't do well with the TV in the house, but I used to watch like English Premier League soccer, like on Saturday mornings, uh, definitely would watch the World Cup, but I know very little. So as you, as you talk about your coaching philosophy about, you know, how you like to you know, offense, defense of soccer, please know that I'm like a novice. So I may ask you some questions. You'll be like, this guy knows nothing. And you're right. I don't know anything about it. So, That's it, absolutely fine. And we'll learn off one another because I don't even know how many players you guys play aside in, in your football. So, um, okay. but I still learn loads from, from your podcast. I played a bit of Madden with my boy on the Xbox. But other okay. Than that, Oh, and I once went to the Raymond James Stadium to watch Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, if, I'll, I'll send you the... We, we, so Manchester United are owned by the same people, the Glazer family mm. who won Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We didn't want to take over Manchester United, so we went out to Florida. We protested outside the stadium. And mm. um, 
and, and we were interviewed by the Tampa Bay Tribune, I think it was in 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah, so cool. Um, and they they played um, and, and won that day. It was such a hot day. We were right at the top in the gods. But yeah, so, so I have been to a game, but I know very little about your sport, but I still learn a lot from your podcast. Awesome. So give me your like your philosophy of coaching sure. soccer. That's what I love to start with is people's philosophy. Yeah. So essentially, um, I believe that football's fun and that's why we get involved in the first instance mm. as a kid or even as an adult. Um, you know, my wife, for example, she was never involved in football, but she's heavily involved now because it's fun. It's social. Um, and for me, a key part of my philosophy is keeping things fun, keeping it real um, mm. and giving everybody an equal opportunity and, and making sure that as a coach, you're you're just a decent human and we're there for our players and colleagues off the field as much as on it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, how, how I like to play, I mean, th- there's a European coach called uh, Pep Guardiola who is the ultimate at the moment. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, he's a Spanish coach. He's won everything there is to win in the game and was a great player and is an even better coach. Um, but he's working with billion pounds worth of budget um, mm. So as great as his style of play is, it's not realistic at our level. Right. Um, so with that in mind, I like to play with attacking fullbacks. So um, we'll mm. normally play something like a 4-4-2 formation, a couple of strikers, four midfielders, four defenders, and a goalkeeper. Um, and the fullbacks uh, essentially play in, in defence on the right-hand side and the left-hand side. And what they that, that allows is... It allows the team to be able to overload in the attacking third. Um, it, it gives us that extra width, um, mm-hmm. and it it, it it dictates to the opposition what they need to do uh, when they're in the defensive phase. So mm-hmm. I really like that. But for that to work, it means that you need a very disciplined and accomplished holding midfielder to act as insurance mm-hmm. against those guys getting caught out um, mm-hmm. high up in the attacking third. And likewise, uh, the two centre-halves need to serve as that insurance and everybody just funnels in um, when the ball goes through transition and you get caught out on the counter-attack. I like to play with two forwards. Um, Lots of teams play with one and a couple of wide Mm. players um, that will come off the wing and cut inside. Um, But I like Mm. to play with two two strikers. Um, Let's really occupy the opposition's back four or back three if we can. Sure. And um, look to try and dominate the midfield and, and win win our midfield battle and be creative and mm. um, make make runs between the lines. So in other words, uh, try and get beyond their the direct opponent okay. and play in between them and the defenders and make third, third what we call a third man run through mm-hmm. from midfield. Um, and then it's about good service into them to, to create mm-hmm. chances. So essentially, fun, fast attacking football, um, but guarding against the counter-attack. Absolutely. Now, are there 11 people on a soccer field like yeah. on your team? Okay, so same as American yeah. football. Okay. I was oh, doing some quick yeah. math, and I was like, <laughs> okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay, <laughs> yeah. good. That's awesome, man. So, like, explain to me why there's the offsides penalty. Because I think, like, it'd be fun to play without it, right? Because you could just, like, try to cherry-pick and score, you know? Goals galore, and we've got something over here in the professional game now called um, Video Assistant Referee or VAR, um, oh, which okay. has taken it to a whole new level. But thankfully, that's not not come down to us yet, and won't for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. So, I suppose the offside law 
in its uh, the spirit of it is actually to give the benefit of any doubt to the to the attacking team. Um, so at its okay. core is um, to, to to allow teams to score more goals. But the main principle of it is to stop a team from having an unfair advantage in that if it's closer to its uh, your opponent's goal uh, mm. than any of your opponents except for the second last defender, so maybe a goalkeeper or a covering defender, then it's right. a, it's deemed an un, it's deemed an unfair advantage. And I suppose okay. without the offside law, you would perhaps have five or six players just permanently in and around the yeah. the eighteen yard box and and. The, the prime target area okay. um but you would certainly have lots of goals <laughs> yeah i mean it's cool that that's been kept though because like in american football like they've just done everything possible to put the defense at a disadvantage you know like with rules yeah. and things of that nature uh, but i like good defense i was a defensive coordinator in the american football okay. game for a long time um so like in england is that something that you grow up doing is playing uh, football like that's something that you like yeah. it's kind of like in the culture I'm, I'm guessing yeah it's our biggest biggest game it's our national sport and um we, we talk about you know if, if you're speaking to a brit that you've never met before they'll talk to you about one of two things the weather or the football um <laughs> and uh in, in you know i'm generalizing um, sure, it's yeah. not for everybody but um but most people like it and you know, in this small community where we are, so we're in a small village. We've got we've got a really uh, really big um, local level football club that's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Youth section, senior section, um, but across our our borough of around 70,000 mm-hmm. people, um, we've got dozens upon dozens of football clubs. They're everywhere um, in every ward within the the area. We, we have a football club. Um, wow. Hundreds of people play it. It's massive. And it, it means a lot to people. You know, people say it's what you work the week for. Um, it's for Saturday to, to play football. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so, so you grow up with it. You can start playing competitively from the age of six. But, um, you know, at, at our club, we have the mini kicks and they start at three or four. Oh, my gosh, that's wild. Yeah. Holy cow. So, like, yeah. And, like, what, like, when kids do that, like, are they, I mean, obviously it's hard to become like a professional soccer player, but is that the goal of a lot of those kids? The children, no, but their parents or carers, yes. Ah, and, there you um, go. So, the children, they just want to play. That's all they want to do. And, and it's, 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 it's incredible because, you know, we're seeing this now. I'm now a soccer parent, which is just incredible. It's the most humbling thing. And mm. when he comes home, um, he's forgotten the score, you know, and it's a 10-minute walk home from the club. He's forgotten what the score was. And all he wants to know is what's for tea? You know, can, can we go to the park? What are we doing next? Do you want to play mm. play a board game? Whatever. Um, sure. And the and majority of children think like that. And and mm. as they get older, yes, you know, they, they play FIFA, which is like our Madden, if you will. Um, sure. They play, uh, they, they watch football on, on the TV. Um, they buy the shirts with the, the superstar names on the back. Um, you know, my boy has got many, many heroes and idols now. He's only six. Um, mm. But he, he's never sort of said to, you know, said to me, I want to be that. Um, mm. And for us, we just want him to play and enjoy playing for as long as he can. Because personally, mm. I stopped at 16 because I had several injuries. Um, mm. And I got into coaching and loved it. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I wish I'd carried on playing. You know, I miss playing. 
Um, sure. So I would want him to just c- carry on enjoying playing for as long as possible. But when they get to teenage years or around about 11, somewhere mm-hmm. around there, I, I guess that they start to aspire for bigger and better things. And uh, But it's so difficult. Yeah, no doubt. Now, is there any soccer like associated or excuse me, football associated with like their school or is that all club? Yeah, so so they play uh, the, the club scene. So, so strictly speaking, um, mm-hmm. school football trumps club football. That, that oh, comes okay. first. So when they're kids, if the schools have got a game on a Saturday, which is when, when we play, okay. then they play for the school um, and, and the club comes second. Uh, but club football is bigger mm. um, and yeah, there's more of it, a lot more of it. So it's balancing that. But but school mm. football can be very competitive. And if they get to the latter stages of their competitions, they'll come up against some great teams mm. and some great players. And that's where scouts usually are, are on the lookout and there's a potential okay. to be spotted. That's awesome. So is schooling basically the same in the UK as it is the United States, like you go like kindergarten through 12th grade or how is that the same or is it yeah. any different? Yeah, it, it's very similar. Um, so we, uh, we start school at, at four and a half, five. Okay. Um, you finish at 16 and um, unless you have secured full-time employment, you carry on to further education until you're 18. And then you have the option of um, going on to university or okay. seeking out employment. Okay. That's awesome, man. I, this is like, so this is so informational. I'm just like swimming in information over here in the United States. Uh, so cool. cool. So talk about like, I saw a YouTube video and talk about like your experience with COVID and, you know, like what mm-hmm. kind of you've gone through personally, if you don't mind. I mean, I, if, if you don't, if no, you don't of course care to talk not. about it. Yeah. yeah, sure. Um, so it, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I've had some serious emotional health challenges um, in, mm-hmm. in recent times. And I think, combination of the pandemic and you touched on social media before and I stand by what I said but when used malevolently it can be really nasty Um, Mm. and I think that at this moment in time we've got people who are forced to be at home with very little else to do other than to check their smartphone every few moments Um, and it's so easy to get caught up in the hysteria of misinformation and people are angry and you know i get that mm-hmm. um and if you become a victim of uh, some of the nasty things that are said about you and to you um and through my my job in my professional career this has happened to me um mm-hmm. there's only so much one can take and i've got really thick skin don't get me wrong um but it right. got to a stage where it, it pushed me to, to breaking mm-hmm. point and you know, I was considering whether it was worth carrying on, um, as I allude, to, you know, as well as I say explicitly in, in the video you refer to. Um, but football and sport and, and the friendships I've made, you know, it's those friends who got me through my dark times. Um, mm. And that's one of the most important things of, with sport is you meet people that, you know, we mm. would never, ever be having this chat now if it weren't <laughs> for sport and our common interests right. in sport. Um, so... I, I, you know, I, I literally owe my life to my, my wife, my family, and, and my friends, especially through football. Um, and, and I'm doing all right now. You know, I'm, I'm totally grounded. I'm in control. Um, and I, I know how to manage social media and to use it um, for what I want to get out of it and how mm. to keep myself safe and sane online. Um, and I'm totally focused on, on my family and, and my football. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah. I feel like social media, I listen to a guy named uh, Rich Roll sometimes. Uh, we're vegans. So we're like, I think we're the only vegans in the, st in the state of West Virginia. Um, I, that may be a true statement. I, I, that was hyperbole, but that may be true. Um, but he talks about social media a lot. And it's like how, you know, you got to use it in the right, the right way. Because that can be tough. I mean, especially your job in politics. I mean, I could imagine it gets, it gets kind of nasty in that, in that realm, I would imagine. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I think, the, the, I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, there's a, you know, you put yourself forward, then it's a prerequisite for the job, you know, and people have a little sympathy for that and say, look, you've got to have thick skin, but, you know, we're human too. And we have feelings and we have families and, um, yeah, I'm the elected person. By all means, critique my performance, but don't forget I've got a family too and, and they see and feel it. And um, it's, you you've got to strike that balance. Um, and I just think with social media, think before you post, remember to be kind. And if you wouldn't say it in front of your parents, or if you wouldn't say it to that person's face, then don't tweet it. Yeah, I know I got fired off my social media when like we were told we couldn't play uh, our season for a while. And man, I just yeah. go back and think like, Sometimes you get a little like you say things like you're in the, you know, the, the moment, like you're emotional. Yeah. And like ah, this sounds good coming in a tweet. Then you're like, man, that's not, that's not yeah. good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And I've done that. I, you know, it, I think that's part of being human. But as long as you, the difference is you recognize it and uh, hmm. you can undo it. Yeah. No doubt. And shoot, I, I was thinking about, you know, preparing for this podcast. Like, man, Ben like is first of all the first international and then like you're working like in parliament um <laughs> so i mean like talk about politics a little bit in, in england and most over sure. here it's been wild right we've had you know a change of presidency and you know you can see all the news about that yeah it's been <laughs> a trip um yeah but talk a little bit about politics in england if you don't mind like kind of what what party are you in and what does that stand for and and things like yeah. that yeah so um I, i'm a conservative um but that I think that means something different here, slightly mm. to what it means in the US uh, and, and then other countries beyond that. Um, mm. My own politics, I'm a centre-right, so um, I think the centre is where it's at largely. Um, and I'm the politics of former Prime Minister Tony Blair, David okay. Cameron, um, Theresa May. Um, and for me, I was disappointed that the United Kingdom left the European Union, but I accept that because I believe in democracy and sure. the, the, the people of this country have their say. Um, we've got to make a success of that. And this pandemic's not making that or anything easy. Um, but I believe in sound fiscal management um, and good public services, um, low taxes, low few, less government, less red tape, so that people can get on um, and, and do better than the generation before them. You know, social mobility is a big thing for me. That's awesome. You would fit right in here in West Virginia, by the way. That is a lot of, that's a lot of our <laughs> politics here. Uh, but I find like politics sometimes break down like into like urban versus rural. Do you find that to be the case in, yeah. even in England? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I represent a rural ward and uh, sorry, excuse if you can hear my Oh, you're Spaniel. fine. Uh, trying to get my attention um so yeah essentially um for me it's it, it, I, I represent a rural seat and i'm constantly jostling for um a, a few extra quid a few extra pounds for you know bus service or 
a sports field or a playground or whatever it might be. Um, and they just don't have the population or the infrastructure to be able to, to, to win that. So I have to fight really hard and make um, uh, the argument against my urban neighbors. Um, but there are 11 councillors in this area um, and we're all, uh, you know, it's a pretty even split. There are five conservative and six labor councillors. Um, but we work together really well and we've all got the same th similar thing at heart. We want what's best for the people that sent us to the council um, and we want best for the area as a whole that the 11 of us represent. Um, but, but yeah, there is certainly a, a rural urban uh, clash now and again. Sure. Is the House of Commons as wild as I have seen like in movies? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's like yelling and people like slamming stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, so it's it's a real pantomime. Um, if you do come over to the United Kingdom, if you can get to, to London, do try and get tickets to Prime Minister's Question Time if you can, because that's a pantomime in itself. And the extraordinary mm -hmm. thing is you can sit in there, you're on the balcony, but you're in there, there's nothing stopping you from, you know, you, you, you're part of it, you can hear it, you can feel it, you can see it all. Oh, wow. Um, and it, it is incredible. And my boss tells me that... Um, it be, it, because on in the movies it seems huge would you agree mm -hmm. but it's really yeah. small and really intimate and you're so close to the mm. opposition um and and when you're making a speech he tells me they're shouting and heckling and doing everything they can to put you off and they're waving their order papers at you um and the tv cameras don't pick this up you know the microphone is on the speaker sure uh, um whoever whoever's uh, on their feet at that time but the other you know, on the other side, there are three or four hundred members just bellowing abuse at you um, to, try, to try and get put you off your thread. That is awesome, Ben. Yeah, as we, that's, we, really we cool. uh, that's awesome, man. As we uh, as we land this plane, because um, I know it's late where you are. Good gracious, I'm keeping you up past your bedtime. Oh, not at all. Good. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I've got a couple of days off. It's half term here. So. Awesome. Um, Give the listener that's trying, maybe thinking about getting like into youth athletics, like give mm. some wisdom there. Cause I feel like that is something that we need here in this country badly is for people to have perspective about youth sports and what that, mm. what that looks like. Yeah. So I think it's a, essentially about creating an environment that's fun safe and progressive. And uh, it's, you know, I, I've, I've been coaching from a really young age and it's been drummed into me and I've seen the benefit of creating that environment that's, um, because I believe if you build it, Zach, they will come. And like I've said, we're a small village. We've, we've had, been scratching around for players. Um, but if you persevere, you set the, the right tone from the start, you give everybody equal opportunity. That means equal playing time, the same chances in training. You could have somebody who, you know, couldn't kick a band or, but they deserve the same opportunity at six, seven, eight, nine, even 11 or 12 years old as everyone else. And, and I think if you stick to that philosophy, then the kids will stand by you and they'll develop. The only way kids are gonna learn is if they're on the field of play. Hmm. Um, if they're sat with you in the technical area for 70, 80% of the fixture or more, as does happen, um, hmm. they're not gonna learn and they're just gonna lose interest. And that's how we hemorrhage players. Um, so I think that the most important thing is giving the kids the opportunity, creating the environment, letting the game be the teacher, letting them play and extracting from them because kids aren't stupid, you know, um, 
you, you can use guided discovery, but ask them, you know, what could you have done different there? How could that have been a bit better? Talk me through that. What are you thinking? You know, and we can learn from them as well. And, mm. and that's what I try and do. Don't always get it right, I have to admit, but that's what I really try and do. And, and that's what our club does. We have an equal player um, directive where the kids all play the, the same amount of game time throughout a season. Um, and it works well. And, and I, I, we're benefiting with the numbers. And the results come as well. Um, not at first, you've got to be patient with this, but the results do come. That's awesome. I just, you're right on. I think in, you know, in youth athletics, you want those kids to stay playing. That's the goal, right? So make it fun, make it exciting, let them play. Cause winning and losing to me at that level is not a, that big of a deal. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I'm, I'm a welfare officer and, and a coach sort of said to me, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm worried about uh, this win at all cost mentality. You know, I, he was almost worried about winning. And I said, look, Winning's fine. It's not a dirty word. Um, right. Be prepared to win. You know, we have league tables for a reason. It's a competitive sport. There's a result mm. at the end. You know, that's mm. all fine. And these are all good life lessons. But your journey to victory, give everybody the same opportunity. Keep it fun. Just keep it real. You know, at the end of the day, it's a, a 15 pound plastic trophy and, and, a, right. and a medal. But they'll be much happier with bags of praise taking away the experience, making those friendships that I spoke about. Those are the things that really matter. Ben, man, I appreciate you coming on and doing this. This is awesome. I really <laughs> enjoy talking to you. And I know the listeners of the podcast are going to love this as well. Thank you for coming on and giving us your wisdom, my friend. Oh, I truly hope so. And thank you so much for having me. And you look after yourself.